for 10 years in a row, ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. Information that you can't get anywhere else. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Ten o'clock. This is our on the house hour, where we spend the entire hour talking about something specific on the house. May has been remodeling month at Rosie on the House, and we're going to wrap it up uh, with a topic that was inspired by the fire that burnt down the roof at the Notre Dame Cathedral. This is a structure that was built over 647 years ago. But it had construction had started 182 years before that. It took them 182 years to build the cathedral. Uh, how many generations of workers is that? Uh, seven, eight? And there are people that there, there was more people that worked on the cathedral that never saw it finished than there were workers that did get to see it finished. And in today's building, a 1960s wood frame home takes less than a year. It's about 59 years, and if you're doing anything to it right now, you're mowing it down and starting over. And it and inspired this concept of building homes that don't last a lifetime, but last for generations. And I want to say before we get started that we're not here to badmouth any builder there is a definite need for affordable housing because when you get through listening to this broadcast uh the structures that we have in mind and the uh practices and materials and time that goes into this you would need a 60-year loan probably (laughs) To match what what your monthly payments for a thirty year loan, so uh, affordable but with a good interest rate, you'll be good. <laughs> I, if you want to, my dream house, and we're going to get to that the the requirements for it. You just open the window and take affordable and throw it right out, <laughs> which is why I don't live in it. I haven't even started it. It's all up here in my mind. Yeah. So this is more just big picture thinking about how. We live in our homes because, and the point we'll make at the end, when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to building for generations, when it comes to long term, the remodeling industry is going to have more of an impact on it than the new build because of how many existing structures there are. It's going to take new builds, I hope, hundreds of years to catch up to how many existing structures are out there right now. So when we come into a remodeling phase and we like the neighborhood we live in, we like the house we live in, but it's it's past the point where it's not worth investing money in maintaining and it makes more sense to rebuild it, rebuilding it with the concept not that I'm going to get another 60 years out of this, that no, my grandkids are going to be able to live here and know that their grandkids are going to still have a structure that that will support them. There was the wildfire in Malibu that burned a neighborhood, but one house was able to sustain hardly any damage, and there was a gentleman that explained that. Also, I have my sister and brother-in-law, who went through Hurricane Michael, built a beach house in Fort St. Joe to withstand a Category 4 hurricane. 
they had very minimal damage because that was a direct hit. That was a Category 5 hurricane. Uh, but the other homes that were built in the 80s, not there anymore. <laughs> no, and uh, I don't know if you've been to Holly Beach before. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't Katrina that got Holly Beach. It was Rita. Rita. My uh, sister's if, name, Rita. <laughs> if you were there before and afterwards, Holly Beach doesn't even look like the same community because of all the regulations that then came afterwards. And to get a loan to build a home next coast, you had to do it uh, 14 feet in the air on concrete piers. And the soil in Louisiana, that concrete pier is a lot taller than 14 feet because of how far down you got to go. You're going <laughs> to have to go deep in order to hit bedrock. So, so that's what we're talking about, sustainability. And that's the word I want to focus on because to me, so many people get stuck on green building, green building, green building, green building. And you, I've seen people do so many silly things to be green uh, that masonry would have solved. You spent all this time trying to do this, and you could have just used masonry in this application and accomplished the same thing. So my keyword that I focus on is sustainable, because if you build it sustainable, you are the green part is going to be there. Just because you're doing something to be green doesn't mean you're doing something that is in the long term sustainable. We've brought somebody in that knows the technical terms and uh, the uh, all the factors that go into what makes something green. And it's not just uh, we've got the manufacturing process. We've got how well that material regenerates itself, or is this a material that once we've used it all, it's done? Is it renewable resource? Is it a regenerative resource? How far does it have to get shipped? How long is the lifespan of this product? Uh, Alex Pajak, did I say it right? That was very, very <laughs> close, yes. <laughs> say it for me. It's a uh, Pajak, uh, but I like to say Paycheck because it sounds close to a paycheck and everyone likes paycheck, that. Paycheck. Yep. Alex Paycheck. There you go. From here forth. It's Alex Paycheck. And you are with Rosie Remodeling and you are a, uh, a sales design consultant? Uh, yes, that's true. I'm, uh, first of all, very happy to be here and uh, to be a part of the team of Rosie Dallas Remodeling. And I'm a sales design consultant and a project manager for the larger jobs that we have going on. And you bring to the team? So I bring to the team, basically my background is in engineering, construction engineering, and in green building. And uh, I'm a, a lead green associate that is <clears throat> a um, basically a certification that will uh, or that does allow me to work on green building projects and uh, have a great interest in uh, renewable technologies, in construction, uh, new construction methods, and green building in general. And... When we're talking green building and sustainable building, you had mentioned three things that require. Well, first of all, is there a difference between green building and sustainable building, or should it all just be merged into one? Green building practices follow sustainable development practices. So sustainable development practices are often a time uh, classified, so to say, by their three pillars of sustainability, which is social, environment, and economic. Social. Right. Environment and economic That's are the correct. three factors in sustainable building practices. That's correct. Yes. Okay. And green building adheres to those three. So that means that we're trying to follow, uh, so to say, everything that can be done to, um, to be better for the environment, more sustainable, use more renewable energy sources, more renewable materials. 
as well as uh, push for economic equilibrium, so to say, so that we can have a uh, good, uh, profitable business and that everyone, and that's the third, uh, that would be the social, that everyone can benefit from that in terms of a society, of um, the city, the region, the neighbors, and down to the person, you know, to the human being in terms of health, in terms of well-being. And when we're looking at these things, so give give me one example. Let's look at um, this stack of lumber that we're going to use to build this house. How do I determine the three things <laughs> as it relates to that pile of wood and my home? Well, when you break it down to the material and when you review it as the material, then one could question where does it come from? Uh, has it been sustainably farmed and sourced? Or is it being shipped from overseas just because it's some specific lumber that someone needs and it's three cents cheaper per piece, right? So what does go in there in terms of energy consumption to create that stack of lumber? And what does, you know, basically, how does it benefit the economic part? Uh, so is it inherently cheaper because it's from somewhere else? Or does it benefit the local economy if I source it, uh, let's say, in Arizona or the neighboring states? So... That would be basically. And, yeah, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert: We don't have lumber farming in Arizona. We do not. <laughs> so that it's all correct. coming in from out of state. <laughs> yeah, that is correct. <laughs> now there, there, there is an exception to that, like the Wallow Fire. Uh, I've seen a lot of logging operations out of there, and in and the pine trees, they do forest thinning, but those aren't tree farms that are grown to be two by four, two by six uh, truss glue lamp beam material for homes. That is correct. They are not. Uh, usually we use very, uh, so to say, quickly renewable resources uh, to be our building lumber. And uh, those are farmed mostly sustainably all across the states. And uh, they are being basically everything that is being reaped is also being re-sown, so to say. And it's a sustainable cycle where wood is just one of the main building materials that we use. And what we're looking for in sustainability is is on a timeline, all things come from the earth, or plants, animals. How fast are these resources available to us again if we consume it now? It depends on what resource you use, right? It depends on if you're using wood, well, then some uh, some woods can be, or some forests, so to say, can be repopulated within a matter of 15, 20, 30 years whereas others uh, will just take longer if it's a hardwood. Um, all over the world, when we look at, uh, let's say, what they call the bamboo belt, which is a, a certain part of the earth where bamboo grows really fast, well, this is where bamboo is the fastest available material. Uh, that's for the for the grown materials, sort of natural materials. And uh, then we have, on the other hand, the non-natural or the, the man-made materials uh, they are made up of different uh, components, for example, like concrete or brick. Uh, there, basically, it is about the availability of the uh, individual parts that go into material like this. So be the concrete, be the sand, or I'm sorry, the uh, cement availability, Portland cement mostly, and then the sand, and then, you know, the water. So all of these resources, when you break them down into naturally occurring resources, is how fast do these regenerate? And that's, you know, that's all over the place, really. And doing the research for that, uh, what's a good resource to use? Because 
you would spend so much time researching this individually, you, you would never get it all the way done uh, in it, to, to build a house. That is correct. Well, there is multiple resources one can look up, and most of that is really can be easily found online. And there's uh, the U.S. Green Building Council, USGBC, is uh, one of those resources that bundles, um, you know, different different uh, findings and knowledge about building materials. And there's different other um, companies and nonprofits that uh, that take all that into account. Don't get your windows replaced until you get an education and a quote from the experts at Pella Windows. So we've got Adam Homer in. Your fiberglass product, in my opinion, it's the right window for Arizona. Explain that a little bit. Pella's got a patented process. Uh, they pull trude fiberglass through this die. Uh, it's a matted material. So unlike a like the back of a shower enclosure, you know how it's random strands and yes, you know, it's yes. all pokey. Right, right. That's not what our windows look like. Uh, it looks like almost like a window screen mesh when it comes through and, and ready to uh, to put into the frame. And once it's all heat sealed and and made rigid, it goes through a powder coating process. So you can get a really nice looking window that's very strong, very durable. What matters is how you treat your doors and windows. They are the weakest link. Take the time to think through the right door and window. Fellas, two locations in Scottsdale and Tucson. Find them at rosieonthehouse.com under Certified Partners. And a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you in our On the House Hour, talking sustainability. Alex Paycheck has some building poetry to share with us here. <laughs> yes, I do. Thank you. It is uh, a great definition of sustainability that I've found researching uh, for many years. It says, meet the needs of today without compromising the ability for future generations to meet their needs. And I think that really sums it up very, very nicely what sustainability and that thinking behind it is about, should be about. And that's where it has to start, as a mindset and a discipline in ourselves. Absolutely, yes, it does. Now, residential generally, not generally, but it follows commercial-type buildings. Uh, And as it relates to adapting new building principles, new philosophies, uh, new building science, and there's a lot of things that are available on the market that are being used that aren't being used in residential. And there's a couple reasons. Uh, money. Money being one of them, yes. Uh, a second reason uh, being that the residential industry and the small residential builder or remodeler has a very low leeway for mistakes. So every mistake costs money. And when they adapt something new and it doesn't work, they have to move on uh, to stay profitable, right? So there's an inherent... Uh, so to say, timeline or schedule that they have to follow to be able to stay profitable. An individual home, generally speaking, has one owner, one family that occupied it, the one financer. A commercial building will can have multiple investors, uh, multiple sources of uh, revenue to to use, and commercial buildings are designed to generate revenue, uh, tenant leasing, uh, office building. Uh, retail space, you know, these all, the point of it is to generate money. So the amount of money coming into commercial doesn't equal the amount of money coming into residential to give us those types of resources. Second, uh, so there's the two aspects of money, uh, two aspects aspects of knowledge. 
Right. The aspects of knowledge being there's a lot of development happening, uh, and it's happening really fast in building science, right? New findings are coming up every day, and uh, usually the commercial companies um, team up with building science uh, teams that basically allow them to just go ahead and, you know, review a long-term effect of something that the small builder cannot put into place right away and review it and see if it works out. So they have a lot more time to develop uh, certain techniques, and uh, and there's also a lot more money involved. But like you said, there is a mindset thing behind that, and that is uh, what green building and sustainable building calls a life cycle assessment or life cycle analysis. So every investor in a green building, a uh, commercial investor, is going to be looking at it from the perspective of the life cycle in terms of how can he uh, or she raise the um, the tenant's welfare in, in those buildings or how can he raise profit or a lower energy cost and energy demand of these buildings. And uh, this life cycle analysis really stops short of homeowners because oftentimes we have to think about what is my upfront cost because that is my biggest part. So I promote and hope that homeowners will also slowly adopt to the fact that there is a life cycle cost of any building, be it it needs to be remodeled, the roof needs to be replaced. What is the inherent cost of that and how can I factor this in in my buying decision? So the two knowledge, buying decision, consumer demand, right. and then you've also got the trade skill. A lot of times the trade skill does not pace at the same speed as building science does. That is correct, yes. The, uh, the Especially that is closely tied to the fact that uh, much more uh, demand for newer technologies is made in the commercial sector. And uh, one can benefit from that in the residential sector as well, but there is a lot of uh, tradition being handed down from basically uh, from the dad to the son or from one person to the next. And uh, that oftentimes does not include um, cutting edge technologies that are available out there. And oftentimes they cannot be even scaled down to a person, to the individual person. And uh, that is still something that one can look into and broaden the horizons as a builder to look into uh, different other uh, capabilities of, of the commercial market and what can be used for a residential market, right? So step number one in going sustainable is where on earth are we building? Correct. When I sit there and I'm thinking through my perfect home, and I think, gosh, this is this is it. This was the last thing I'm missing. Well, what's per and my mindset is the deserts of Arizona, not the perfect application for an Eskimo. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, the the location and specifically the location of a newly built home or even an ex- existing home on a lot basically is dri- a big driving force of, well, how much solar intake do I have through my windows or through my walls or through my roof, right? So the way that I, my, I orient my house uh, in according to the sun's path that I look at throughout the year uh, will basically give me advantages or disadvantages as to how my building is going to perform in its cooling and heating needs. And the cooling needs are obviously something that we have in Maricopa County. Lot dimensions, orientations, where the access into the property comes. All these things are step one, is where on earth are we building? And then looking at that lot and, and getting our orientation for the home is step two. More with Alex Paycheck of Rosie Remodeling talking the, the, the discipline of sustainable building.
So number one, where on earth are we building? Location, location, location. Number two, product selection in our conversation of sustainability. Yeah, so product selection is uh, obviously a very important uh, part of this whole process. Um, there is many products that are inherently more sustainable than others because they are renewable, because they are uh, products that do not require the amounts of energy to be produced before they're being built into a home, as like others do. Wood is a great one. Um, and uh, there is definitely a few resources out there uh, that can basically enable the you know, or the consumer to look into what uh, products are uh, more sustainable than others. And um, I would also point to uh, the U.S. Green Building Council in their lead program. They have a couple of um, different, uh, so to say, uh, companies and uh, and uh, signs that they use uh, on how to um, how to look at, at uh, a sustainable material. Uh, one of them um, is when it comes down to the um, uh, to the wood that we use, uh, it being the American uh, Wood Council, um, and uh, they definitely have a lot of resources there as well to see where where is the wood coming from. So that's usgbc.org, United States Green Building Council. Number three is building practices. Right, uh, building practices. Uh, there's a, a lot to be said to view a, a building, be it a existing home or a new home, as a whole system of interlocking smaller systems. So all of these uh, subsystems, if you will, uh, would, would perform best and most sustainable when they are working together really well. And that is one of the biggest uh, issues, I believe, uh, to be said for excuse me, for the uh, remodeling industry today is to not look at a building project as a sequential amount of steps that are following each other, but as a system where all of these steps and all of the uh, players in that uh, building process are talking to each other and basically all of them working to get the best possible result. And from that come good building practices because everyone is aware of what one is supposed to do and uh, everyone is able to basically bring in their amount of knowledge to uh, to the table and uh, then all all aspects are being considered and um, there's also a lot of different information about newer uh, building practices online and uh, of, through commercial builders but also through larger scale home builders that are already using them takes a lot of experience and a lot of discipline and a lot of uh, principle to ah, let the plumber meal do with that ah. Let the drywaller deal with that. Ah, I'm just a painter. Let the flooring guy worry about how to clean up the floor behind me. <laughs> exactly. Each trade has to have a understanding and a respect for the trade behind them. That's correct. For the trade, for a trade behind them, and for or the trade ahead of them. <laughs> ahead of them, exactly. And what you know, what is it that I'm supposed to be? Not only what I'm supposed to be doing, but what is the building supposed to be performing as? What what is it? What is the building's intent, so to say, for the client? Right, and. Uh, what are the specific the specific uh, problems that are building in let's say Maricopa County runs into versus a building up in Flagstaff? Um, so orientation, good building practices, good details, uh, selection of the proper materials, selection of the proper details in flashing, or how do I get the water away from the house, or how do I redo a foundation or make a foundation, or you know what is the size of the building. Uh, is it appropriate for the family that I'm building for? So it's basically starting 
at the planning table and then finishing at the actual move-in with the buy-in from all the stakeholders that are involved in the process. And we mentioned at the beginning, remodeling has a lot more to do with this because the amount of homes that are going to need to be remodeled as opposed to the homes that are going to be built, you know, that ratio isn't even close. I mean, how many millions of homes are existing that need renovation now? So starting with a home energy audit to help you determine what you need to do to bring this home up to the next uh, sustainable level of sustainability during your remodel. That's correct. There is uh, always the energy audit is a good first step uh, that will show me, well, what are the parts of my building, especially when it comes down to heating, cooling, or here cooling, um, where does it, where could it benefit from certain changes? Um, am I leaking uh, am I leaking energy somewhere? Am I am I uh, leaking basically the air conditioned air? Right? Is is there anything in the home that can be uh, made better uh, to keep the house uh, more tightly uh, enveloped and uh, and working better? Right? So to have all of these systems that we mentioned earlier to have them more interlock better. So the the energy audit is a very good start to do that. Yes. All right. Now I didn't let you share any of this with me yesterday because I didn't want to know. That's correct. I wanted, I wanted to do this in real time. We both have uh, an idea, a concept that we're constantly building in our mind about the perfect home we're going to build one day, in quotes. <laughs> Whether, uh, and I gave you a homework assignment. Did you come prepared? I absolutely did. Yes. Okay. Top five things about your perfect home. Do you want me to go first or you want to go first? <laughs> you go first. All right. <laughs> it is going to uh, – it's not going to be a necessarily a perfect dome because that's going to be pretty boring, but it's going to be a, a dome concept. And I've pulled this one out of – you know, this is Sullivan's Island, South Carolina. I pulled this example of the home that has a lot of architectural features so it doesn't look like you're living in an egg, but yet you get the benefit of a dome home. And the benefit that can be done in, in a dome home is, one, it comes back to a circular style, which was a key when you think about the American Indians sitting around the campfire in a teepee, that community that it brings together in a circle. So you've got the circle concept. It's sloped uh, dome hot air rises so all the air will just continue to move and if you've got an exhaust point at the top you've got this constant airflow and it's going to have a basement to pull that thermal cooling from inside the earth and the dirt that is pulled out is going to be used some aspect it, this dome home is going to have concrete poured concrete it's going to have a combination of split faced masonry block because i love that look and it's going to have a combination of rammed earth uh, building practice and that rammed earth is going to come from the excavation of the basement and the last thing i like about the dome is as the sun you talked about the the sun path as the earth spins around the sun and we're on a uh, 13 degree axis and where the sun sets in the winter is different than the summer well that comes into where the overhangs are going to come and the window placement but on a domed home every time Every minute that sun is rising and coming across the sun, it's shining on a new part of your building and heating it up. At the same time, a new part of that building is getting shaded and cooling off. So it's the least amount of concentrated sun that you could get instead of having this big west wall and 
south and west wall that heats up for hours. So it's constantly cooling as it's heating one side or the other. And then I've got rules about my home. All right. No structural wood, plenty of interior wood. Uh, and I guess, I guess technically a wood clad window that's structurally holding the window in, but it's not holding the building. Right. Um, and no drywall. You outgreened me here, so uh, I think you and I, we should go into our business to get our building homes like that. Now, Please. I'm going to let you go through yours, and I, while we were talking, I wrote down a question, and you answered it before I could ask it, and we'll get to that later. But you go, and, and here's an idea. How about a waterfall shower? <laughs> you know, how nice is it to sleep next to running water? And to have a running water, and then all you got to do is just introduce a little bit of heat, and there's so many things you could do with that water and recycling it through indoor plants. And there's already a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> well, that um, I'm a little flabbergasted right now. I came prepared, but not this. <laughs> you thought, man, you, you, you did think about it just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> my, well, my my top. Fe- I mean, I had to narrow it down from about my top sixty features to the top five. It was not right. an no. easy task. <laughs> well, and you said no, I could do that real easy. I'm like, no, start right. right. As soon as you start writing, it's gonna get real hard to narrow it down to five. It was not easy, and uh, I so you can see my list has scratched it out over and over again. But um, for me, the most important things are coming from a planning point of view is a proper orientation of the home. Uh, and all the glazed surfaces, which are in my home going to be large, are going to be covered by overhangs and shaded any time of the day. Now, all the what surfaces? Glazed, the glazed surfaces. So be- glazed meaning? Windows. Window surfaces, yes. Lots and of windows, so lots of natural sunlight into the home. Absolutely. But everything's shaded at all or most of the times of the day, uh, even depending on the sun path, uh, because we do have the declination of difference between winter and summer equinox. And is right? that stationary shading, or are you going to have like the awnings that will follow the sun and be motorized? It is, it is stationary shading, yes, okay. because motorized awnings are another thing that can break. And I want to keep it as low-tech as I possibly can. We share that, and it's something that won't break. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I want to only do this once. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I want to use rammed earth, and I did not copy this from you. I really do. It's a material that's widely available here, and it's absolutely stunning and beautiful and a good thermal mass that we didn't get to touch on just yet, but we will at another point in time. Uh, I want to have radiant cooling and passive ventilation in my home. Now, radiant cooling is a lot different than radiant barrier. Talk about radiant cooling. Radiant cooling is a concept that in, in, your, in your concrete slab, you are basically putting in uh, water lines that are filled with, a, uh, with water and that circulates and that water is chilled by the means of a uh, compressor and generator or by geothermal uh, temperature differences. And geothermal temperature being just the soils? Just the soil, exactly, which under a certain amount of depth of the soil is at a constant temperature and you can use this to your benefit. And so this radiant cooling is basically a very widespread radiator, if you will. So it uh, does not need to have as much uh, temperature being blown in through an air conditioning, but in- instead it will, over time, cool down the house evenly. And um, so passive ventilation means that I want to try, like you did, to exhaust the hot air out of the house at a high point and allow for breeze to come through. Um, that can be aided by mechanical ventilation and exchange of uh, heat, so to say the heated air and the and the uh, air-conditioned air on the inside or the conditioned air. Um, 
I want to have open floor plans because I love that. Large windows, open floor plans, that's my dream where I can just move around freely. And then uh, indoor and outdoor living is a big thing for me that um, just goes hand in hand with the large glazed surfaces. So I'm very design driven when it comes down to that, but it is not necessarily a thing that excludes green building practices. Quite quite the opposite. These, they can work together beautifully. So. But yeah, you out you outclassed me in your green, man. It's, <laughs> I don't know what to here, say. <laughs> here comes the final thing my house won't have. And I was going to ask you, is it possible uh, to, to do this? And I, I just, I, I know it's possible, but I wanted to, to, to hear somebody else who was already thinking it was a lot of fun. It's not going to have a traditional HVAC system. That yeah, it is it is possible. Yes, uh, it takes a lot of uh, discipline and thinking, and basically setting up a house properly with radiant cooling, just as an example. Uh, so you could forego the the HVAC system in terms of air conditioning. You can benefit from the ventilation being mechanical, but you can also do it in purely passive ventilation measures by letting the air breeze through. And yeah, we. We clicked on that yesterday. I was surprised to hear that, uh, of all people from you. <laughs> we were both sitting there thinking about building this perfect home that's not going to have air conditioning. Now, here's the kicker. If you want to be able to sell it, which you should build your home so that you can sell it, uh, whether it's to the next generation or whatever the case may be, you can't get a loan in Arizona, for a home that doesn't have an air conditioning system. That, that is so something that I heard, yes. You either have to be prepared to know that you've got to find a, you know, a cash buyer, and which really limits, <laughs> limits your options, or uh, that, that's just a crutch. Or design it so it's got a duct system, whether you not use it, so that you could sell it. Uh, yeah, no, it's got an air conditioning system. I never use it, but there it is. And you could then the average person could then get a conventional 30-year loan to buy that house. Yeah, that is that is a good point to, to make that uh, the part of the stakeholders in a sustainability cycle can and should also include the bank or the money lender because if, if you get them to understand that there is a technical possibility to cool a house to normal levels uh, using only passive or radiant cooling that does not necessarily include an HVAC system, well, then they benefit from the knowledge gain and uh, you benefit from not having to install that and just add another power source or power use on top of your house. But it is, it's great to, to put that uh, in, pl- in plan and put that together to just be able to put an AC unit later on. And if you want to sell it, someone can, else can install it and get their loan. All right. Final segment on the thought process, discipline, and mindset of sustainable building practices. And I forgot about this until I opened my perfect home folder that I was going through here during the break. I saved an email from a gentleman identified as Tom in Florence. And he wrote earlier this spring when we were talking about something that triggered him. Uh, he said, my home is completely off the grid. I chill water in 6,000-gallon tank, pump it into the house into air uh, handler coils. This way I can have AC at night when there's no sun shining. 
So there's there's already somebody that has a home without traditional air conditioning in Arizona. Next time I get to Florence, I think I'm going to invite myself over to Tom and Florence house. That, that's going to be a house to see. I'd love to meet Tom. Yeah. So takeaways. First of all, it's a mindset. Yes, it's a mindset that uh, basically switches from a house as a sequence of events when it's being built or remodeled to a house as a system. And that's not only for the builders, but also for the homeowners, right? So when I start thinking about it as a as an organism, if you will, well, what goes into keeping it alive and thriving? And that's just multiple points. So yes, it's definitely a mindset thing. And building for generations, not just my short-term housing yeah, need. I'm building something that uh, if they choose to, my kids could stay here and pass it on to their kids and their kids and their kids. I mean, what would it do for your uh, financial situation and your start in life if you never had to buy a house that, but that, had a, one to live in? That would be perfect. That's how <laughs> most most of the people, and me, myself included, uh, coming from Austria – it's densely popular. I was going to say Alabama. It's Austria. No wonder I couldn't <laughs> yeah. pinpoint it. The accent. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a lot of – it's very dense there, and people build once, and it, they build it sturdily and uh, very heavily, and then it just gets handed down from one generation to the next because it's expensive to build and to own. It's expensive to build, but on a timeline for that – you know, if you're thinking your generation, you're benefiting them, and it's cheaper than – building and remodeling, building and remodeling, tear down, rebuild, tear down, rebuild, tear down, rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. You is. compare it to the Vegas, the longer you're at the table, the more the odds favor the house. <laughs> yep, that's The more you correct. invest in your home, the more it favors the home. <laughs> yep, that's absolutely correct. Um, and does green always equal sustainable? Well, uh, it follows the sustainable principles, but sustainable in a sense of Will it sustain a fire or a flood or an earthquake? Not always necessarily. This is another aspect that needs to be handled if you're living in such a zone where this is a possibility. So it can, uh, but it, it would be better to just always follow sustainable building principles and then react to uh, either homeowner wishes to say, I want to have a fire, or sorry, a house that's going to withstand a fire, or I am building in a flood zone or somewhere. So yeah, these sustainable principles are there as well. The building quality is better? Yes, because more details are thought through. Uh, it's been thought about as a as a whole, uh, not a, the whole project is basically being a system with a lot of details that go into it that interlocking each other better. And uh, therefore, a lot more people can have a look at what is being done and built or rebuilt and have their say in it, which is always a good thing. And uh, that inherently makes it just more more eyes to look at a certain problem to, to pinpoint some issues that maybe one set of eyes couldn't. And the final point, the remodeling has more of an impact than new builds because we've got a lot of existing structures. I hope it takes I, – I don't know if I, I ever want to see the amount of new builds – equal how many structures are existing today. <laughs> yeah, so uh, our HVAC partners do not need to fear. <laughs> We're not going to run into a business. <laughs> but yes, it's definitely an issue to say there is inherent energy embodied in the houses already being or having been built. And uh, if you keep those uh, around and, and remodel them sustainably, that's definitely better than building you. Alex Paycheck, thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. Quick Thank update you if much. you missed it earlier on Rosie. 
It's not a tumor. That's right. We got it gone. A blessing in disguise that we found as a result of his off-roading accident. There was a tumor. Doctors found it, removed it, and uh, caught it before it became any kind of problem. So one more one more God story and Dad's uh, accident that is uh, going to be put behind us. And he's, I don't know when we'll see him back uh, as a result of this last operation, but, you know, it'll be, I don't know. I'm not, yeah. I'm going to keep him hostage so he can work at my house. <laughs> he's getting a lot he's done. He's getting a lot done.